series that we've been on for several months now, begin with, you know, knowing God, which actually began from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now that he has saved us, what is the Christian life? What is it God wants us to do, that we are to do? What is Christian life? And that is one, right, determined to live righteously, Romans 12, 1, live for him, and all we do, in Romans 12, 2, get to know him. Have our minds renewed. Get to know him. And then we talk about how you truly get to know God. There'll be all these books out there that tells you, uh, pray a certain way, uh, keep a journal. Uh, you, if, if you're feeling a certain way or work yourself up to feel this way or whatever it is, mysticism, oh, this is some form of mysticism, every, all these types of teachings. But when it comes down to the Bible, it's very clear by having your mind renewed. And knowing God just means when you look up all those words that have to do with getting to know God and knowing God, it's the same as me getting to know any of you. When I first met you, well, I knew something very little about you, but as I spend more time with you and converse with you, I get to know you more and more and more. It's the same with God. Except the much higher level, we can actually we actually have a relationship with God, but it also gives us a responsibility to cultivate that relationship. But I just want to say that to bring out why is it right we're we're always you know so focused here on the Word of God because the Word of God itself says that it is the Word of God where we get to know God. It is the Word of God. That will make us complete, right? That perfects us, that teaches us all things and nothing else, right? When we're living and walking with Him. And anything apart from what God has revealed of Himself, at the very least, is something we cannot be sure about. And many times, what they're teaching out there are things that the Bible absolutely forbids. So I would rather stick with what's sure, what God himself says in Scripture, will lead us to know him. And it's, it's very plain. I can tell you after, after all these years that it's very plain. You stray from the word of God and you run into error. It's as simple as that. And the degrees of it will just grow. But what we've been talking about these last few weeks is the attributes of God. As they're, growing, as they're getting to know God, and we talk about God's internality, that he's forever, right? That God has been and will be forever. He's eternal. We cannot fully comprehend that, right? There was God, and then he created everything. Everything there is, right? But, and then... We talked about God's all-powerful, right, as all power. But last week, last two weeks, actually, we were talking about God's sovereignty. And his, his attribute, right, you attribute to someone, right, that he is sovereign ruler of all creation. For he created it. And part of that sovereignty means, if you remember, and it's really important, we're, we went to Ephesians 1, and we talked about, and we always use that to help most of the times when we do that, and rightfully so, we look at how it, how it uh, works in and gives us truth and insight and understanding on our salvation. 
and our, our, our gift from God and our predestination of God. Remember when he says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. That means all things. And when you look up even the golden chain of redemption in Romans 8, right, foreknown, called, predestined, right, it's because all things are foreknown and predestined. Right? He made a decree in times past that this is how things would be the way they will be. Right? And we looked at many passages of Scripture to counter, some would say, well, God's sovereign, but he's given man free will. And he sometimes intervenes in the affairs of man, like, for instance, the crucifixion of Christ. For instance, you know, the rising up of Pharaoh. You know, according to Romans 9. You know, for instance, Jacob and Esau. But he doesn't normally, you know, do that in the affairs of man. Well, if we're getting into it, I want us to give a good reminder. Go to Proverbs 16, and we'll see, does the, what does the Word of God teach? What has God revealed about himself and his sovereignty and his work throughout his creation? And these are really astonishing. It's amazing when you think about it. Proverbs 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man. And you have to understand, right? That's, I mean, that's profound because when you understand when you talk about the heart, that's our innermost self. So the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Woo! That's, that, that's pretty hefty there. I mean, the preparations of our heart and the answer from our, of our tongue are both from the Lord. We'll go on to uh, Proverbs 20. Verse 24. Proverbs 20, verse 24. Man's goings, so his coming in, his goings out, man's life, you know, as he goes upon this life, as we understand it, right, he goes on his way. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? I'll bring you a couple of those out to show that we, we looked at it throughout Scripture, and I won't go back through them. I hope, uh, you know, if you want, go on, you know, uh, Go on sermon audio, look at the past ones and that. But just to remind, we saw through Scripture overwhelming, overwhelming, clear teaching from Scripture that God is sovereign over all events of weather. Right? And we talked about for different reasons. We don't have to know why it why there's a catastrophe as far as, uh, let's say, natural things go, or whether everything's normal, and everything he says, sometimes for correction, right? Sometimes he sends it, you know, for his land, sometimes to feed his people, sometimes to feed his animals, his, his plant life. I mean, it's amazing. But so all things, God's sovereign over all weather, all natural events, you know, be it earthquakes, you know, uh, in earthquakes and fires and whatever else, He's sovereign over all animal life. He's sovereign over all so-called, there's no such thing as a random event. Remember, we, we, we looked at that, for instance, right, the lot is cast in the lap. Can we think of anything more random? You know, it's like the lottery, right? But its outcomes determined by the Lord. Right? 
the affairs of man. Well, when he clearly teaches, for one thing, that the, the heart of the king, as the rivers of water, are in the hands of the Lord, right? He directs it whithersoever he will. So if he moves kings, if he moves nations, if he moves entire people groups, what, he doesn't influence a single individuals that way? Of course he does. Joseph, all of Joseph's brothers. Pharaoh, right? The, 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 man, the, the man who put Pharaoh in his house and then decided to, you know, have, have him thrown into prison. The woman who gave the false report of him. All those things, all those things were, de- were part of God's determinate plan because he also prophesied that everything would come out in Joseph's life the way it did. You know, so, but, I say that to bring back to mind, I mentioned one thing, and I want to read it before going any further into this, and I'll probably read it again at the end. <clears throat> when we talk about these things, and a lot of us here, especially, you know, grew up, who have been, I should say, a long time at this church and heard Reformed teaching and, you know, refer heard the, these things about God's absolute sovereignty and God's decree. It, we still even have a, can have a problem. It's kind of like a conundrum. How is it that God has already set all things in motion and that he determines the outcome of all things and he directs all our ways, saved or unsaved, he directs all people's ways, then how are we responsible for what we do? People will comment, well, aren't we then robots? Well, no. Okay. And this is just by a man. Go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about many of those things, and I mentioned a few of these, and I didn't mention some of these, but I just want to mention before I read that, I want us to remind us that, think of these examples in Scripture if they come back to you. We are told, we are clearly shown in Scripture, they wonder, is that all things? I mean, you know, what about bad things? And what, what, okay, well, that you see, in our limited understanding, it is hard to reconcile these things. But consider the man born blind, and what does Jesus himself, what does scripture itself tell us about that? When his disciples asked him, well, who sinned? This man or his parents? He just replied, no one sinned. But for the glory of God was this man born blind. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's why, because he healed him. Now think about that. He was born blind. He went all those years blind. But what's behind everything. What's the ultimate purpose and ultimate thing? That God be glorified in all things. 
And we know that the God of, the, God of all the universe and creation always does what is right. And he is just. And he is holy. But then think of that. How about the man born blind? How about the death of Lazarus? Jesus himself says, oh, this happened. This is of God. That he's sick and he died. And I was like, no, was that just Lazarus? Was that just this one man born blind? We read elsewhere, if you recall, he says, he says, a man's sight, whether he has sight or if he's blind or whether he's mute or whether he's lame. Is this not all of the Lord? We're also told in Scripture, what do you have that you did not receive? That's with everything. Okay. But consider that, the death of Lazarus. You know, Joseph's life. Job. All the examples of Scripture. The, as I just read, the preparation of the heart and the answer of the tongue. All our suffering, our prospering, calamities. Scripture over and over and over and over and over again in the Old and New Testament shows it's all in God's control. And many times it tells us that this is the way it was to be God's decree. And if you remember I read of that, not only even in the most significant thing, the crucifixion of Christ, before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, it was determined that on the day on the day God chose, all the people would say, away with him, crucify him, and they'd all be held accountable for what God had predetermined already that would be done. Now, with all of that, what about our responsibility? How does this seem that God's sovereign over everything and our responsibility? How then, just like just like the people asked Paul in Romans 9. Well then, how can we be at fault? Who has resisted God's will? And what was his reply? Nay, but oh man, who are you to reply unto God? It doesn't mean we can't humbly, at times, question, I just don't understand this, Lord, but aren't it should be, your will be done, though. One approach to these passages about God's work in our lives is to say that for our choices to be real, they cannot be caused by God, right? You know, free will, are they real choices then, right? But the overwhelming number of passages that affirm and clearly show God's providential control are impossible to honestly deny. Those that deny them are just not being honest with themselves or others. They're just purposely deceived in that, but there's too many. Over hundreds of them. And they want to take a couple, three verses, parts of them, and say, well, here, it's just, it's, it's honestly, you cannot deny it. What Scripture teaches is that God works in such a way that he causes all things to happen, but does so in such a way that he upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices that have real and eternal results, and for which we are accountable. Exactly how God does this, Scripture does not tell us. But just because we cannot understand how, we should and must accept both in order to be faithful to Scripture and ultimately right unto God. Right? It clearly shows that that's the way it is, and we should not become, you know, uh, bent out of shape, which a lot of people are, and I believe why a lot of people don't accept it, 
by, because we can't understand it. We, his thoughts are so far above our thoughts and his ways so far above our ways, it truly is incomprehensible to us. There's no way we can fully comprehend it. You know, unlike so many teach, we're not little gods. We are so far below God. Even though we're born again in his children, even when we'll be glorified from on high, we'll still be so far below God as all of his created order is. You know, we must be truthful to Scripture. And in the best way about that is, right, just to, just to accept it. Just to accept it. That's what Scripture teaches. I don't have to understand it. I'm content with that. Just saying, okay. You know, let's move on. I want us to look at that because the Bible nowhere. There's been so much error about so many things. For instance, many errors in the church about the Trinity, right? About the Godhead. Because they try to go outside of Scripture and into their own understanding to try to teach beyond what God has revealed to us and henceforth go into error. Because obviously, for whatever reason, God's revealed to us what he's revealed to us and no more. To try to look for any more is nothing short of just being disobedient and not trusting God and his wisdom that this is what he's revealed you don't need to know anything else. He doesn't want us to know anything else. <laughs> and for, for my own part, I can tell you, and I'm sure he's got a good reason. He's got a good reason. But also with this, with his sovereignty and how he rules and how he predetermined everything, right? We're not, we are real people. We make real choices. And we are accountable for those choices we make. Yet, right, he works it in such a way, right, that he's behind everything and directing everything. He has to be, or else none of the promises, we can't rest in him. He has to be. But let's take a look, because it doesn't answer, right? And I looked at this, and, you, and go listen to people. John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and others they mentioned throughout the ages have tried to figure this out and grappled with this, right? God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. And every one of us, every one of us, <laughs> I thought I was helping that number because hopefully all of you still can grapple with it, but when we just come to accept, well, that's what Scripture teaches, we can still rest and be content in the fact is, okay, Lord, I, I get it. That's what it teaches. And I don't, we, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to understand it. Because if you do, then you'd be the first person in the history of the world to be able to understand, to under to understand and comprehend it, the first person. And if you if you ever get the notion that you have, and I quickly check yourself, Amen. Quickly check yourself, you know. But I want to I want us to turn to where a couple examples in Scripture where God puts this right in the same place: His sovereignty, man's responsibility, His will. Man's responsibility for what they do anyway, even though they're carrying out God's will. But man's responsibility. Go to Isaiah chapter 10, please. And this is, I can't tell you enough, the more we can grasp a hold of this, that God is just, he, he sovereignly rules, he's in control of everything. I guarantee us, the more we get a hold of this doctrine and this truth and rest in it, and just say, 
I believe it, Lord. That's what you're saying. I'm going to believe it. I don't have to understand it. I guarantee your contentment and your peace and your joy will grow. You'll have more and more contentment, peace, and joy. I guarantee it. But Isaiah chapter 10. Let's look upon this beginning in verse 5. Okay. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I, this is the Lord, right? I will send him, right, the Assyrian, the Assyrians, right? This is to the king of Assyria and the nation of Assyria. I will send him against a hypocritical nation. He's going to send him against Israel. And against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. So he just shown, right, there that he's given the Assyrian a charge. He's going to use the Assyrians to carry out his will and purpose. He's going to be, they're going to be the rod of his anger, the staff, you know, that's going to pour out his indignation, right? No, read verse 7, though. How be it, he mean it not so. Right? The king of Assyria means not so to carry out God's will. He has no idea. Neither does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. Right? For he saith, are not my princes altogether kings? And then he, he goes on and he talks about this king just thinking, hey, this is just one in many lines of nations. I've, I've conquered and I will conquer. I'm the man. Right? He thinks it's all, all him. Right? It goes on there, you know, for sake of time, I would think when you read it, right? For, go down to verse 13. Here's how the king of Assyria wraps it up. For he saith, right, the king of Assyrian, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, I have removed the bonds of the people, and have robbed their treasuries, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand have found is the nest of the riches of the people. Right? And he goes on and on. 15, this is the Lord again, chiming in. Shall the axe boast itself against him that holds it? In other words, the king of Assyria is nothing more than an axe is in the hands of the Lord, right? He's wielding, the Lord's using him, wielding him wherever he wants to. The axe can't say, look what I'm doing, because it's like this, it's not doing nothing. It's completely mastered by who's ever holding it and wielding it. Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? <laughs> and he goes on. Uh, okay. Go back here. Okay, go back up to verse 12. Wherefore, it shall come to pass... That when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. So the king of Assyria is carrying out just what the Lord wants him to do. He, he doesn't know it. He's carrying out his will. Yet he's going to the Lord's holding him responsible for every single act he committed. You can read through that entire passage 
and not find any place that explains how that works. How does that work? Right? The king of Assyria is doing nothing more than the Lord is using him for. I mean, you could say, well, look at the evil he did, right? He's going to punish him for all the thefts and the deaths of and people of Israel and everything. But, well, no. I mean, yeah, he is going to, he is going to hold him responsible for that, but it's not because, well, he's using him that, but then he went above and beyond, right? Well, what did he go above and beyond, though? Because go back to verse 6. Let's see, what is he going to use used for? He's going to use the king of Assyria against Israel to take spoil, to take prey, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Again, right, you would think, well, God, God is good. You know, have you ever heard of that? I've known people that says, you know, when you talk with the judgment, well, my God would not do that. Well, yeah, the God of your own imagination won't. The God you've contrived aside, apart from Scripture. Yeah, would not. But the God of Scripture does, will and does. Well, that's amazing there when you read, when you read there. But let's go somewhere else. In the, most, in the most important aspect of our life, we always say it, right? The most, important, the most important thing in your life that will affect your life the most, the absolute most, is what do you do with Jesus? Here's the gospel teaching, right? Do you believe in him or not believe in him? Do you believe he's the son of God, that he's God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for your sins? Or do you not? Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We'll just start in verse 8, right? You know, of course, our Lord speaking, right? But all of Scripture is our Lord, amen? The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In other words, just like he said in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But he's just saying there, just as the wind blows where it goes, we, we can't tell, right? So is everyone that's born of God. We, we don't know how it happens. It happens. But go on to verse, just go on, let's go on to verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a promise. Right? And in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son, Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So here they're, be, they're being held accountable for not believing in God. Right? But go on to verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him. From heaven. And yet verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So they can only receive, we can only receive eternal life from God. We can only receive it if we believe, 
But we only believe, we're only given that if it's given us of God. You can only believe it's given of God. Yet, you're still held accountable and the wrath of God still abides upon you if you don't believe. To further illustrate that point, remember he goes on, go to chapter 6. Verse 36. And I'm using this in a little different light. Yes, it teaches predestination. We've talked about that before. But it's, you know, it's so good to always talk about salvation. Amen. But to work this in, that it's, you know, it's that way with all things. But look upon this. It's the same conundrums there because verse 36 of chapter 6 of John. But I said unto you, that you also have seen me and believed not. Huh, okay. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. In other words, right, no man, and back in chapter 3, a man can receive nothing unless it be given him from heaven. Amen? Down to verse 47, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes in me hath everlasting life. Right? But, it says, verse 35, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come to me, except it were given unto him of my Father. So it, the truth in the scripture is, right, that even when it comes to our salvation, we, we cannot receive it. We are not given new life unless God has determined that we do so. And yet, if you do not receive him, if you do not believe on him, it's all on you. The whole responsibility of it is on you. Yet you can't receive him unless he has chosen it to be so. How, how, how does that work? That, that goes back to... to Romans 8, does it not? It goes back to Sinan 8. Well, who can be held at any fault for who has resisted his will? I talk about this when it comes to salvation, but it's so important in all aspects of life, right? Nothing happens apart from God's predetermined will. Nothing happens apart from God's will for the foundation of the world. He sketched everything out. That's what our predetermined will means. Talking about Ephesians when we were talking about that, it's so important if we could grasp a hold of that. When they came together, Ephesians 1.11, in the council, right? That was their divine deliberation. They looked, they considered, they looked at everything, they considered all possibilities, how everything's going to, what, what they wanted to work out and everything else. And then they decreed it to be so. And they made a decree that shall not pass. And that concerns every contingency, every plan. And how this works, we just cannot know. You know, Job didn't understand it either. 
You know, and that's the most important thing. We cannot, we will not understand it. And these people that talk about a free will, we've talked about before and before, it comes to salvation, it's everything. When man talks about free will, the scriptures nowhere say we have free will. What it teaches is we freely do what we desire to do. But the only way we'll ever desire to do the things that please God is if he's given us eternal life. <laughs> we're responsible for not having that. We'll freely do what we desire to do, but apart from the grace of God, we'll, we'll desire to always just do our own thing. And yet, that's still God's work in everything out. Yeah. Go ahead. Go to, we'll finish this up. Go to Job chapter 40, please. And if you recall a lot of this, right, that uh, Job, he's answering Job. Throughout the book of Job, right, he's, he, he's, he never accused God of being unrighteous or unjust, but by his constant declaration, he wanted to, he wanted to meet with God and plead his case. You know, why is this happening to me? And he was just overwhelmed. He could not, he could not come to grips. Why are all these things happening to me? Remember the beginning of Job? Well, first he said what was right. He said what was right when he said, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Chapter 2, when he lost his health, he said, Right, shall we receive good from the Lord and not receive evil? In all this, Job sinned not. So he he, he was right there. But then as he went on, and partly we also got to be always be careful of the counsel we give, when he kept getting more and more irate with his so-called counselors, his friends that came to him, you know, he kept basically demanding an audience with God, you know, and declaring his own righteousness, right? These things shouldn't be happening. You know, he couldn't understand it. Well, in Job's ignorance, right, he kind of went over the line. But what does the Lord say in Job 40? Starting in verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves God, let him answer it. You know, in other words, so you got a problem with my sovereignty, do you? That's, that's what he's saying. You got a problem with my choices. You don't like what I've done. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I'll lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed. No further. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now think about this. He just comes all this. Job was like, Oh, Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm vile. I shouldn't have said that. It's like, Lord, not so quick. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. And this is in Scripture, I believe, to teach us. A valuable lesson. <clears throat> then answered the Lord out of jo answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. 
I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me, wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Remember that. What he had purposed, what was going on right then in Job's life? Will you disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? In other words, in Job, I don't believe meant to at all. He didn't come right out and say this. But by questioning, and to the degree, right, when we bring it beyond humility, maybe a simple, Lord, I just don't understand, we risk the part when we question it, we're questioning God's righteousness. We're questioning his wisdom, his purity. Will the God of the earth, will not the God of all the earth do what is right? It's a rhetorical question. Always yes and amen. We always got to beware of questioning him. Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold everyone that is proud, and abase him. Go ahead and do it. You know, you think you know it all. You want all the answers. Okay. Look at everyone that is proud and bring them low. Tread down all the wicked in their place, right? Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that that only hand can save thee. When, when you read these on, you question all the answers, what he was doing, and you go back from the beginning when God first started questioning Job and throughout the whole thing. Right? He was laying out his absolute sovereignty before Job. His absolute sovereignty, and that Job had no right. He should just rest. He began right. right? And he was. God, even again, he called him a righteous man. But when he went on, and we'll just say why. You know, we know we'll meet Job someday. But you know, well, Job, again, is a man just like we are. Flesh and blood, you know, heirs, fallible. But he started out right. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Not questioning the Lord's providence, his sovereignty. Shall we not receive good from the Lord and not evil? Not questioning the Lord's sovereignty. But then he kept demanding, you know, more and more, right, as it went on, how people looked at him and that, instead of just resting, resting in God. Amen? And then, after all of it, then, I like that, let's go to the end of Job. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withheld from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. In other words, he, he, he was just referring to what he said there. He's in repentance here, right? I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Right, I I have gotten such great more understanding, O Lord. Right, verse six. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
for presuming things about God to be so that we're not. Right? And questioning God's sovereignty, his wisdom, right, his rule. And we can do that without even realizing it. Right? You know, when, when we talk about all these things, this is we're going into the deep part of the pool here. So do you I bring that back again to just leave you with this to think on these things. Do you think Lazarus or that man born blind were the only two people in all of existence that God put those things upon for his purposes? Do you think the people we read in the Bible are the only people that he's working all those things, apparently at least to us, and while we're going through them, would seem things we don't understand. Even horrible things. In First Peter, it tells about it. If, if, it, if the will of God be so that you were called to suffer for his name. We're not all well, not in the same way. This is not talking about mild suffering. Oh, you're a Jesus freak and all that. It's talking about suffering. If he's called you to suffer for his name's sake, rest, rest in his love and trust him for he's a faithful creator. Throughout scripture, it says he's in charge of our lives. He directs us where we go. He, he directs it, right? He works everything after the counsel of his own will, right? And that's what it means. All things, be it as we see it with our eyes and our understanding, good, bad, all things work together for good for those who love God. Now, all things, all things is control of all things, but this is specific for us, his people, all things in our lives eventually are working out for our good to transform us in the image of Christ that we be glorified. And we will be. Amen. But the next time, you know, something's happening to us, whether it's sickness, whatever it be, yes, we pray. But we end that prayer and we start it and end it with the understanding, Lord, your will be done. And resting in him that he knows what he's doing. There can be a reason, just like he says, whether but in scripture, right? Whether it's for correction. And then chastisement. Those chastisements can be two different things. You could be going through something because of some sin in your life. It could be just to discipline you because maybe he's got some weights or some stuff he's got to burn out of you. You know, he's shaping you and molding you and transforming you into the image of Christ. And believe me, a lot has to come off. <laughs> and a lot has to be sunk in. Amen. So, does anyone have any less comments or questions? I'd like to go on, but <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it, Mike? As soon as you start getting into it, all right, time's up. You know, <laughs> but I hope we all think on these things because, really, the more we understand these things, again, I guarantee you, it'll bring such contentment and peace and joy in our lives. Not saying every moment of every second of every day will be joyful and peaceful and that but overwhelmingly so. The more we understand these things, the more we go to God in prayer with these attitudes. Amen? Okay, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come unto you with thankfulness, with gratefulness, with love, thanking you, our God, the one true living God, holy, righteous, pure, just, all-powerful, 